Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Another addition to my uh, drunky McDrunkerson collection. Lettuce is a fine topping if you have got like nine things. Don't waste one of your three on lettuce. Both of you probably could use a salad. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Silver 7's on a Thursday. We're here every Thursday. Come on down. Flamingo in Paradise. Jed's working the controls here. Adam Hill is the company. We're at the Bud Light Lounge. 277 happy hour going on right now. It's every day up until 6 o'clock. So beers, margaritas, and shots. Ask the uh, servers and bartenders about the drink specials. That's awesome. William Hill Racing Sportsbook as well. And uh, you can still get down on Miami and Boston in Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Heat all the way down to minus 1 as both Horford and Smart are expected to play. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. You know, with things uh, slowing down a bit... With football, not in our face, although we have football stories every day. Um, it gives a chance for the true Adam Hill to come out, tell the tales of his bizarro life. You were telling me a story off the air, and I was like, we got to mention this on the air. You value shop for gas, like like everyone, and you're going to one of the big box stores. You know, there's two of them in town, the two chains. What's going on at one of them with the, uh, the way they're handling the gas line? Well, there's always a line, obviously, and I go – I, I'm, I'm, I don't go sit in the line. Like, if you go at 6 o'clock. You've gonna you got to find a way to beat the system. Of course. How so, long is the line at 6 o'clock? It would be about 14, 15 cars at least on all, like, five of the lines. Cool. And when you think about that, it's like, yeah, because it's not, you know, it's all these different lines. So you gotta you got to pick one and try to fight through it. And they are just... Very, very strict about nine o'clock cutoff. Militant, to where if you're in the middle of filling your tank, they just shut it off. (laughs) And there's a lady there. Rules are rules. And I always so I I almost like clockwork. I go after the show. There's a place I go to that I work at. I write you know I write after the show, and I'm it's close to where it is. So I always try to go like eight thirty five, eight forty, because there's not much of a line right at the end. But there are always just cars. So I'm like, all right, if I get there at like 8.40, I should be able to work through the line. So I'm getting gas right around that 8.54, 8.55. So I can get it in right before 9. Like, that's my plan always. And every time I see the the lady that works there. The Zarina of the gas. These, yes. Uh, she is. It's like, she goes, 12 minutes. 12 minutes. You're like, all right. We know. It's 9 o'clock. We know. And she's like, scream, you go over there, go to that tank, go to that one, go to that one, reach it over your car. Like, okay. Oh, really? Because people are like, well, I'm my tank's on this side. Like, stretch it over. Like, it doesn't stretch. And then people will inevitably listen to her, pull up, try to stretch the thing over the car, won't work. Like, come on, lady. Like, at least be helpful if you're going to do this. But she is like, she is a taskmaster. Why do I feel like this is all a setup for some sort of Adam Hill conflict with this lady? I, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare mess oh, with really? her. Oh, really? No, but I did. So the other night, it's cu- it's counting down, and it's like it's eight fifty six, and I'm like, I'm, there's no way because I'm two car. There's two cars ahead of me, and I see that one on the other side, but it's it'd be going the wrong way. It's still open, and I was like, I got to make a break for it. 
So I zoom out and I zoom back in down the thing, and she's like waving me down. You're going the wrong way, and I'm like, I don't care. It's eight fifty six. I gotta get the. I gotta get in. And so I, I zip over there. I finally get there. I pull up, and of course I look, and it's out of order. Yep, it's got the yellow bags on like, it. Ah, it got me. The worst. So I just had to go away. I was like, I, there's no way I'm getting gas today. I'm it not getting gas. I'm, get, I'm not getting gas. I'm not gonna get. I wasn't gonna get it anyway. But she is. She's. For, I, she's. I mean, she's apparently very good at her yeah. job. I'm sure I she's think, seen it all. I think there's a way they could cut it off. So like, if you're in line at nine o'clock, you could get the gas. Because there's usually not like a long line. There's like. Four or five cars that don't get gas. Like, just put a thing up and just say, okay, if you're in line by nine, you're fine. But, man, they cut it off. And I've seen people, like, finally, they're, like, scrambling to get up there. They get up there. They put it, they, you know, push the thing into there. They start pumping, and it's, like, two five in, and they're, like, cut off. Like, nine o'clock. Come on. Come on. Number four. Uh, Tiger Woods at the PGA today. Not good. Not good. At all. Uh, fire this. Tiger talking about his performance. Well, I did not hit uh, a, lot, I had a lot of good iron shots. I drove it well, um, but my iron shots were, were not very good. I didn't get the ball very close. I got off to a great start and didn't keep it keep it going. And uh, I really didn't give myself any looks for, uh, for birdie. You know, I was, uh, you know, struggling trying to get the ball you know, on the green. If, and uh, I missed quite a few iron shots both ways. So it was a, it was a frustrating day. 74. Rory McIlroy in with a 65, five under. By the way, our, our golf guy yesterday, Cam Rogers, not only said that Tiger not making the cut is a good bet, but also said uh, his his pick is Rory. God, I wish I would have listened. Was that like I think I think when we talked to him, he was at still like 15 to one, something like that. Yeah, I, he was the third choice on the board, um, and I know that because I got invited into a a late pool mm. where you pick eight golfers, and you can pick any eight. And my thought process was anybody that's smart is obviously going to take the first eight choices, right? The top eight favorites. If, if there's no restriction on who you pick and anything like that, there's no bonus for long shots. So you just pick the top eight. And then I said, well, if everybody just picks the top eight, then there's nobody who's going to win. It's, you know, it's going to be tied. So I was like, I need to pick one of the top eight to leave off and then pick somebody else. And, of course, it was Rory that I left off but out of the top eight. So I took seven of the top eight choices, and then also Patrick Cantlay, who did not play well today at all. Number three. We haven't gotten your take on James Bradbury. Uh, we heard about him from Raiders' Twittersphere, Blogosphere for, like, months. And I never really understood the infatuation. Me neither. I, I, brought up, you know, I brought it up repeatedly that we had a former Giant exec on, and, you know, he's with the NFL Network now, Mark Ross, a couple weeks ago, and he was like, eh. When I brought up Bradbury, he's like, uh, like a third cornerback, you know, has to be on a good, you know, with a good group, not that fast. Um, and so many Raiders fans thought they were going to get him, and instead he goes to the Eagles. Now, here's the thing. His agent said 11 teams had called on him. Were the Raiders really one of the 11 teams? And did they make a real offer that could compete? Because the story here is, well, he chose the Eagles. Did he choose the freaking Eagles over a competitive offer from the Raiders? Well, I mean, first of all, the Eagles are have a great offseason, and they could be – you know they could be a contender, um, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. I think all of that is true, right? Like the Eagles' defense could be great. He's going in with a good sporting cast uh, with the defensive backfield. They still have Jalen Hurts, who I I still like, but that's far from a guarantee. Sure, um, but I, I mean the thing, Barry and I, when he first became available, I kind of had a number in mind, and I was like, well, if you can get him for. Six, 
six million, maybe I would think about doing that. I was like, but we're going to find out a lot about what Patrick Graham thinks about him because Bradbury last year in press man was horrific, horrific. And it's not like he'd be asked to play press man all the time in this system. In fact, if he was with Patrick Graham, he probably wouldn't play it very much at all because Patrick Graham knows that he struggles in that area. But I think there's some concerning numbers about, and this is not, by the way, this is not saying it because he's not on the Raiders. Like this is what I was saying going into this process. I, I thought it was a little bit, people were getting a little carried away thinking they were getting like prime Deion Sanders with Bradbury. And, you know, we saw the deal that he did. It was for me, I would say that was too much. I would say the Raiders probably didn't want to do that and didn't want to sign him to that much of a, a deal. And hey, if the if Eagles want to, when they have a quarterback on a rookie deal, we talk about that all the time. You have some flexibility to do these things when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, and you don't have a wide receiver that's making that much money either. Um, so you know, I, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like you didn't lose out on him. You probably made an offer. It probably wasn't anywhere near what the Eagles' offer was. And if the Eagles want to sign him for that much money, go ahead and do that. I don't think that's any big loss for the Raiders. And I would also point out, like there are a ton of guys out there still. There's guys at every position. I was I was doing this thing um, the other day where I was just doing, you know, uh, additions and subtractions from every team in the division. And as I went down the list, a lot of guys I didn't even list as subtractions because they haven't ended up anywhere yet. Where you like look at the Chargers and like there's about seven or eight guys from last year's roster that don't have a team right now. Some of them are really good. And that's pretty much the case with every team around the league. So there's just guys sitting out there that, you know, in the next couple of weeks with, you know, June 1st cuts, there's going to be more guys available. There's going to be more teams with with space to sign some of these guys. And as we get closer, you know, Denzel Perriman was a, you know, a huge factor for the defense last year. One of the big reasons why the defense improved enough to go to the playoffs, they got him in training camp. They they found a team that was probably going to cut him. They made a trade and they said, okay, we'll take him. And he was very, very good for them. So, this, the, the roster is going to be tweaked all the way up until the start of the season. And even beyond, we know that. That happens. There's going to be plenty of guys out there. I would not freak out about losing out on James Bradbury. Number two. Nick Saban, coach of Alabama. The czar. The czar of college football. Well, he lost sight of where he was. <laughs> he forgot that you know people can video what you're saying, even in the most friendly of environments. And Do you think guess- so, or do you think he did it on purpose? Probably it's probably closer to be on a purpose, but uh, I mean it's it's out there now. But yeah, he went right in. He's already I mean he's already been hinting at uh, accusing Texas A&M of doing something wrong with NIL. So here he was again. I mean we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team. Made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. Yeah, so what that means is. Look out, we are going to come with a fury of hell with even more money than we've been paying. That's it. Yeah. And, and by, But by doing that, accusing someone else of doing something wrong, which you are going to do anyway, and you kind of do now. They're just doing it a little bit differently. Uh, the other thing is then Saban started to talk about – I mean, it was just like Saban unplugged. He just starts talking about uh, some of the issues that are going on specifically with players in college basketball. We have a rule right now that says you cannot use name, image, and likeness to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division One player to come to school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. I mean, these guys at Miami that are going to play basketball there for $400,000, it's in the newspaper. The guy tells you how he's doing it. 
And as, as I mentioned earlier, Nate Oates, the basketball coach at Bama, is sitting next to him, and I'm sure Nate Oates is like, let's not talk about basketball, please. Hey, keep it down, Nick. Like, has anyone seen what Alabama is rolling in every year out of the transfer portal? How do you think they're doing that? So, I mean, it's it, I'm not even going to say it's a slimy game. It's just what's been going on forever. There are more players involved now. I'm talking about the schools. There's more schools involved now. But this has been going on forever. And last night, Saban, I think, lost a little bit of control. You're, you're right. Maybe there was a whole purpose behind it. Um, but I will, I'll tell you this. He, according to Jimbo Fisher, he tried to call Jimbo Fisher. So why was he calling him? Probably to say, hey, maybe I went over the line. And I also think the continued trend of especially older coaches whining about and being sort of accusatory in this whole NIL thing um, can also lead people to believe, like, wait, are you really comfortable with the players making money or not? I thought what Joy Taylor uh, said was awesome. She goes, and Joy, of course, does uh, Cowherd Show. She's uh, Cowherd's co-host on 1340 and 98.9 FM. She said, if I was a top recruit, I'd be paying extra attention to who thinks it's outrageous that I should be making money while they make millions off of my free labor. And I I so agree with that because we bring up Jim Beheim all the time, right? Beheim is a giant pain in the ass. Once someone is of no use to him and decides to go to the NBA or transfer, he, like, mother blanks them. Yeah. And, and, you, and, and parents should know that. Recruits should know that because, I mean, if there's if you want to accuse someone of abusing a system or abusing players, when coaches react like that, that's proof that they are horses' asses and that this is what they really think of you. It is. But, I mean, and, and I don't listen, Nick Saban's old, so, you know, maybe he's not articulating it that well, but I don't even think he's expressing a problem with how much players are getting paid because his players are getting paid more than anyone. The players are getting paid. I mean, his as you said, his quarterback's getting well over a million dollars from one deal. I think he's getting the report is over three million a year that he's making. Um, but the to me, like what he's saying is there is a difference between the way that it's supposed to go, which is, hey, come to the school, and if there's because that would benefit Alabama for sure. You come to Alabama. And then people that sponsor Alabama will then get you the money, and it's not done directly through the school. And there's no contingency of, hey, come here, and then we'll get you this. It's come here, and then you're going to be able to work out deals when you're here, which very much benefits Alabama with all the money coming in, compared to, hey, here's $2 million to come here, which is not really supposed to happen, but that is starting starting to be what happens. And that's when, that's when Alabama is going to be in trouble with other teams doing that. And they're not going to be in trouble. They're just going to do it themselves, which is what he's saying also. Like, he's not expressing it well. Like, there's a point to what he's saying, but it's not going to come across that way, and I don't think I don't think the headlines are going to be what he wants them to be on this. Number one. So that happens last night. Jimbo Fisher this morning is like, all right, let's go. Press conference. Here we go. He addresses what Saban said about Texas A&M cheating. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous. But when, when he's not on top and the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. Go dig into how God did his deal. I mean, he this was like a three-minute ramble where he kept throwing in, hey, the poor kids, the poor kids are being accused of cheating. And I thought that was a really good crutch to lean on. But in between every mention of the kids, it was just hammer time on Nick Saban. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. 
You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it, and it's despicable. It's the second time we've had to do this with grown men who don't get their way and want to pout, throw a fit, and act up. Just go ask all the people who work for him. You'll know exactly what he's about. It feels like uh, like Lute Olson, Tark. This stuff's been going on forever. Right, but there, there, are co- there are coaches who come off as holier than thou because both guys are wrong. Both guys are doing it. Both guys have done it. That's how you get to this level. That's how you get to a point where you're earning you know, 10 to $14 million a year. You either keep up you know, with whatever the pace is. You either do what you have to do to get players or you will be out of a job. So anyone who, who believes that over the last 50 or 60 years that almost every top program has had to do something to get players – and when someone steps out of line, because it was like, I forget who threw out the, the, the line you know earlier, but the honor among thieves thing is Brad. An, is an awesome line. Well, it was actually a, it was a, whatever. Brad did throw it out. Uh, honor among thieves is great because in college sports, it, it's kind of the unwritten rule. Like we hate the unwritten rules in baseball. It's the unwritten rule in college sports. Like, dude, don't get so pissed off that you start accusing other people. This whole system works because none of us talk. And now Saban started it, and then, you know, there was a fire, and then freaking Jimbo comes in. Jimbo Fisher just freaking flamethrowed. Just let's blow this whole thing up, but and again, it's going to get ugly. But Jimbo, you have worked for Nick Saban. Like, tell us. Dig into it. Why? You're but, right but, here. But what he's doing publicly, just like Saban is, is what I'm doing is legal. Saban is saying, I'm following the process. But you're both basically doing the same thing. So this three-minute rant ends. Then guys come in to start, you know, asking questions. And Jimbo's just like, let's keep going. Have you had any contact with Nick since? No. Oh, he's called. You just didn't take the call? Not going to. We're done. And uh, He showed you who he is. And then I just wanted to. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted to. You got all the advantages? You're saying that no players in the state There's no laws of anything we ever promised done, anything that goes against the laws of the state of Texas. And it's insulting to say a 17-year-old in his family broke laws. No. So awesome. It's just the pace at which he speaks to greatest ever, huh? Yeah, and that's it's, it's, it's <laughs> different than normal. Uh, he's definitely fired up and angry, like he wants to say a lot more for sure. But like, get it out there. I, I would have a lot, like, I like that he did this. I'm glad that it's firing, you know, igniting a, a big fire now, and that we're going to see all these different things come out and be talked about. I would have a lot more respect if Jimbo came out and said, "I worked for Nick Saban." Here's what I did. I paid off this guy, this guy, this guy. I was given this much money to pay off this guy. And then when I went when I went to out when I went on my own, I paid this guy, this guy, and this guy. I learned from him. I cheated. I did this. Say it yourself. Don't keep you are saying his assistants cheated for him. Okay. You're one. What did you do? And what did you do when you became a coach? Get it out there if you want to get it out there. Let's see, let's hear it. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Spins, hangs, fires, short. Curry grabs another rebound. This is number 12. To the right sideline he goes. Working on Finney Smith. Gets bumped. Shot down the way. Swish! Put him on the line! Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Warriors radio there, Steph Curry, solid game. Warriors out to a 1-0 lead against the Mavericks. We're going to try to check in with uh, Daniel Negranu, poker star, and also massive, well, maybe not so much anymore, but uh, VGK fan in just a couple minutes. But uh, we've been hearing the update on... The health situation of Mark Stone. 
Dr. Adam, how, how, how serious is a lumbar? And be real careful. Discectomy. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Uh, well, he had surgery. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't sure that he was going to need it. Thought there was some chance it would just be rehab and stretching and that sort of thing during the offseason to get it better. But he did get it done. I have no idea. I, I, as you said, I'm not a doctor. I only know about the Jack Eichel surgery because I talked to so many people about that for so long. But um, there, you know, he's optimistic that with a full offseason that the VGK finally has, uh, that he'll be ready to go. And, and playing at a healthier level because he never – again, that's, that's part of what we talked about of when people say, well, they had their full lineup at the end of the year. How many were healthy? Right. Like zero. So, you know, those, I mean, those things happen throughout the course of a season. Of course, you get, you know, injured and banged up. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're very hopeful around there that they're going to have a much healthier team when the season starts next year. Uh, we head out of Silver 7s at 6 o'clock. Still happy hour going down, 277 on a lot of the drinks. So uh, come on down here, Flamingo and Paradise. We're at the Bud Light Lounge. Silver and Gold is across the way right in front of the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. After that, we'll be going to Aces pregame at 630, 7 o'clock tip. Lynx and Aces at Mick Ultra. And it is Bill Lambeer night. They're going to honor Bill Lambeer. And they've got uh, Dollar Lambeer night. So you can go over there, get your drink on a little bit. Watch some women's basketball on the Aces tip tonight at 7 o'clock. Sign up for an A-Play card and unlock some great food specials at the Sterling Spoon Cafe at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. We had a lot of success with these. I'm not going to stand here and be critical of Pete. I think he's a really good coach. He's a good man. He's a good friend. So... Uh, that's not part of it for me. It's uh, it's about looking ahead, and I know I've said that a number of times. It's not a cop-out. It's genuinely the basis of how these decisions are made. That's, uh, that's how you arrive at it. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. You know, it was a bizarre season for the Golden Knights with the injuries and then with what appeared to be some miscommunication and then insubordination at the end of the year and the Leonard stuff. And the offseason has been equally as weird. Pete DeBoer was out there in front of the media two weeks ago not knowing if he was keeping his job, and then the Golden Knights fire him on Monday. And we love talking hockey with a poker legend, Daniel Negreanu, and I'm sure he's got a lot of thoughts on what's gone down the last couple of weeks. Daniel, how are you? It's uh, Steve Cofield and Adam Hill. How you guys doing? And you're absolutely right. Lots of thoughts. No question about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean – where do we start? You want to talk about the press conference the other day where um, I, I love our morning guy, Ed Graney, asked uh, Kelly McCurman point blank, do you guys you know, do you guys actually look in the mirror and, and analyze what you've done? Yeah, I know. You're really hitting the root of the problem. Like, for me personally, I, you know, I was happy to see the mistake kind of, like, come to fruition and, and move past, which was to fire Gallant and replace him with Pete DeBoer in the first place. But if we're being honest with ourselves, the root cause of the problem is front, front office and that's Kelly McCrimmon, for essentially turning the team down the wrong path. They were beloved in this city. It started with, it all went downhill after they fired Gallant unceremoniously because he lost four games in a row. And then from there, I mean, every one of the most popular figures on the team, they chopped their heads off and continued to replace them in, in, you know, in the interest of getting better. But, you know, that's not what happened. What ended up happening was we became not only hated within this city, but across the league where people actually take glee in seeing us lose. <laughs> what? What? Like...
that part is. Why why are people around the league uh, so willing to cheer against the Golden Knights or so eager to cheer against them? I think it comes down to this, right? You look at how a team treats its own. You know, we're we have this idea that you know we're this like community or whatever, and you literally chop the head off of your head coach who went to the finals in with a ragtag group, made the playoffs the next year. The first moment he loses four games, you ax him. You you know you treat a guy that was a hero here in town like Mark Andre Fleury who left on bad terms and several other players along the way, and the rest of the league looks like I mean, these guys are cutthroat. There's no loyalty. They don't keep their word. They sign guys to a seven-year deal and trade them in year one. You know, they're panicky. They, they're impulsive. They replaced Flurry with, a, you know, that $7 million, which they got nothing for. They got fleeced on the deal with Dadanov and Le, Le, Laurent Bosson. Like, you know, we just wasted that entire block of money because they panicked and they felt like they needed to fill a hole prematurely. So, I, I mean, I guess, you know, one of the things that I – that I often ask to people and I'd, I'd love to get your thought on it is like how much should an organization care about what the fans think and how much should they, you know, work toward like, Hey, let's make the fan, make sure the fans are happy. And how much should they just be, Hey, we don't care what they think. We just have to win. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's no question. You got to respect and admire group. That says, Listen, we're going to win. We're going to make moves that are, you know, not popular. And we're going to do what we think is in the best interest of the team. Having said that, when you have a new team and a new sport, in this city, and, you know, we develop heroes here. If you are going to make moves like that, you better be sure that it's a significant upgrade. You don't want to make lateral moves, right? No one, no one in the organization other than the front office thought it made sense to not give Gerard Gallant the opportunity to finish the season. I mean, what what, what was the impetus for that, you know? All he's done here is succeed. It was was premature for them to do that. And frankly, you know, even though I was never a fan, and I think that he is, you know, problematic system-wise, if they're going to continue to say that this year well, it was all about injury, well, if you're saying that, then that's not really the coach's fault, right? Because he didn't have anything to do with those injuries. And I thought it was really interesting in the press conference from Kelly McCrimmon that he, I'm not, I'm not expecting him to freaking slaughter DeBoer, but he, you know, he, he actually went out of his way to say, hey, he did a good job, which then people walk away and they're like, well, then why is he fired? I just I wonder what the impact is now when they look around the league for another coach if the way they've handled the previous coaches is going to affect the potential new coach is looking at the organization going, wait, do I want to go there? Yeah, no, there's one thing that we've established here in Vegas is that you cannot trust us. We are not to be trusted as an organization. The good news is, is, you know, it's Vegas, and it's a great place to play, and you have an ownership group that is willing to, like, put all their chips in, you know, and try to win each and every year, so there's, you have that going for you. But you, you do so at your own risk, knowing that whatever, they, like, whatever Kelly McCrimmon says cannot be taken at face value. He lies over the dumbest things that are so obvious for the sake of doing it. It's very, very bizarre, and it's a toxic culture that I think he's the cancerous root, frankly, that needs to go. If you look at every deal he's made over the last couple of years, with the exception of Chandler Stevenson, which was a steal, he's gotten fleeced in every deal. He's made the team worse with every single impulsive uh, move that he's made, playing a, playing like a, like he owns a fantasy team and just trying to plug holes. Like, we had injury issues. We traded for injury issues. You traded for a player that was going to be out till February or March. So, like, I get, you know, blaming injuries to a certain degree, but you literally created the situation, too, because you would have had Tuck and Krebs during that season, during the hard months when you needed bodies, but you chose to go the Eichel route, which, again, I'm not saying that deal was a bad one, but, you know, you can't cry foul when you created the situation that you're crying about. So, Adam, my co-host, 
will often step up and defend the management side. You're being very quiet right now. Is there no. anything that, that Daniel's incorrect on? No, not, not necessarily. And I, said, I said, like, how much did you buy in? That's, that's one of my things with a lot of fans is, like, fans are like, well, you got rid of my favorite player. I'm like, well, do you want your favorite player or do you want to win? And their, their goal is to win. Obviously, some of the moves didn't work out. The injuries uh, built up. I also I, I think there is a communication issue uh, with the front office, and I think part of their thing is we don't care what the message is. We just want to do what's best for the team, and that works when you're winning, yeah. and it doesn't work when you don't win. And, and I think that's an issue they ran into this year. Like Nobody cared if they're saying this or that until they started losing. And now it is an issue. And I think that is an issue because they had DeBoer out there saying things that weren't true, and they were making him say things, I believe, that he was like, I don't know why I said it. They told me to say it. I don't know. And that's a problem. Well, there's an arrogance in the organization, I think, too, that like takes for granted the support in this city for the Vegas Golden Knights. And what they don't see on the horizon is, okay, now we have the Raiders. When an NBA team does come here and people are disenfranchised because they fell in love with a specific group of players, and if you – if everyone who buys a jersey constantly has that guy shipped out of town, you know, quickly, you start to say, you know what, the hell with these guys. Like, are you more loyal to the players and the coach or whatever, or are you more loyal to the organization? For me personally, it's no question. I'm loyal to the people that, I, I, that were heroes, which is the players and the coach. I'm not loyal to front office. I don't like them. I don't like the decisions they make. I don't like the taste in my mouth in terms of the way they deal with people. You know, and, and I, am I going to believe Flurry or am I going to be Kelly McCrimmon about how things went? It's sure as the hell not going to be Kelly McCrimmon who lies all the time and is a cancer to the, to the organization. Uh, my, you know, obviously turning the page forward, what direction would you go in terms of coach? Not necessarily a name, but would you want a systems guy? Would you want a motivational guy, a younger guy, an older guy, more established? Or, or do you turn... Like somebody in the organization, I know a lot of people are like, "Hey, give Derek England a try." That's turning the page back to when you know it was special with this team. Like, what direction would you try to go in? Well, I, you know, I'd obviously want a good coach, and I think the best coach available, whether or not he would want to come or not, is Barry Trotz. And there's a few other names, but in terms of like style of coaching, I definitely think what doesn't work, and it certainly didn't work at the outset, because we had a group of misfits. You don't want a hard-nosed coach who treats every, you know, makes everybody feel worse about themselves. You want a player-friendly coach. Pete DeBoer was not player-friendly. Pete DeBoer has had issues his entire career with goalies. I don't know what's wrong with his brain, where he blame, he hates goalies. Like nobody has a beef with Mark Andre Fleury except Pete DeBoer, right? And Martin Jones and Martin Brodeur and Robin Lehner, and the list goes on and on. Like it is a very bizarre character flaw that he has, where you know he has this inability. To connect, and if you watched how many key games where we needed to come out in that first period and really set the tone, and we came out flat, why? What you know, you blame you can blame the players for being tired for sure, and that's true. But like part of your job as a coach isn't just X's and O's. Part of your job is to get these guys to play for you, and you know who they would play for? Gerard Gallant, because Gerard Gallant was stern and fair with them. You know, he wasn't. He wasn't hard-nosed for the sake of being hard-nosed, and you just saw how they played in those first couple seasons under Gerard. And, again, front ab- front office, this is their issue. They panic. Oh, he lost four games in a row. Oh, you fire him like that? You, you literally destroyed the entire culture of the city in terms of the team. It's the voice of Daniel Negreanu, poker legend. I want to get into the World Series here in, in just a second, but uh, what do you think they should do? What do you think they will do with Robin Leonard? Well, I mean, if I was Robin Leonard, I would first and foremost be happy about the fact that Pete DeBoer is gone, 
right? Um, and hope that the next coach, you know, more. I think the key issue for Robin right now is he just did have surgery. You know, he has a couple very serious injuries. And Pete DeBoer was pretending like, no, no, he's healthy. Why? Because he wants to blame Laner for everything. When, when Laner was absolutely the MVP of the team the first half of the season before getting hurt. So for Laner, I think it's an opportunity for a fresh start. The question really will be, is he going to be ready for day one uh, in camp? And I don't think so. You know, it looks like probably anywhere from four to six months to heal from what he's dealing with. So I would imagine that, you know, front office would want to sort of maybe if they could move him, probably move him. Um, but if not, now you're putting Logan Thompson, who did, you know, perform well in a short sample last year in a, in a kind of a precarious position as a starter without any real insurance and backup. So I actually think that um, there's a decent chance that they're going to look to move on from Robin Lehner and find somebody new, the next shiny toy that Kelly McGrimmon, uh, you know, wants to buy. Uh, I just want to ask some, about someone on your Twitter because we talk about gift-giving all the time. Uh, a lot of people accuse you of falling for a trap with with agreeing with the wife of not giving gifts to each other. You said, hey, look, we just trust each other. How much of that is poker instincts of being able to read somebody that they're actually telling the truth? You know, that was a, it was, I, that tweet really brought in a bunch of comments. that was, It was really sad for me to see how much distrust people have in their relationships with their wives and husbands, right? Yeah. Like, if my, you know, everyone's like, it's a trap. You should get her something anyway. My wife was clear. Like, she didn't want to get, she's like, let's not do it. If I would show up with a gift on that day, she would be pissed at me, oh, wow. right? So it's more important to keep your word to your wife and respect her wishes than it is to really make it about you and protecting your own butt, right? We made an agreement, and it's great. The gift we gave each other was the lack of stress over trying to find out something that you might want. Uh, I applaud it. I, I love oh, it. Adam here hates getting gifts because then he feels like he has to reciprocate. I, I usually give everyone on the show something small, and he gets so mad uh, around the holidays. I'm like, bro, you don't have to give something back. That's not what it's about. Yeah, but it feels like you do, man. It makes you feel bad, right? Like, I have that agreement with a lot of people where we don't give gifts. Because there's right, just too much. you got birthdays. you got anniversaries. Yeah. you got Christmas. you got all these things. It's like it's too much, man. Like, me and my wife, we have a thing where if I find something that I want to get her, I just get it for her. And it's more special when it's not forced. Oh, Valentine's Day, i got to get you something nice. I don't know. It feels to me like more genuine and authentic when you just get something for somebody when you think they might, you know, want it. Yeah, on a Tuesday. It's a random Tuesday. Yeah. I love exactly. it. Exactly. I love it. If you were giving gifts every day, you'd have to play, uh, you know, for all these holidays, you'd have to play poker every single day. You don't want to do that. I mean, you love poker, but you got to take a couple days off. So uh, World Series of Poker is coming up pretty soon, right? And then, uh, obviously, the main event towards the end. So what's coming up? Yeah, the World Series of Poker for the first year in over a decade has moved from the Rio, and it's moving to Bally's Paris. So that'll be interesting and unique to see how it affects traffic and whatnot, but it's about two weeks away. And uh, I know I'm just twiddling my thumbs. I can't wait. I wish it was tomorrow, and I'm super excited. But, yeah, there'll be daily events for, you know, whether or not you're uh, like a low roller who likes to play small stuff or you're a high roller with a lot of money wants to test yourself against the best. There's a little bit of everything available at the World Series of Poker this year. Full schedule, so highly recommend checking it out. How fired up are you to get back to normal as well? I think we're all starting to get back to normal in some ways. You know, as I mean, we're still you know in COVID, but I mean, it was could have been easy playing with all the you know all the safety set up. It was needed, but could have been fun. Well, you know, it, it, so for me and my wife, you know, we did you know we did our we took our. We did our thing. We stayed home for like a year and a half when COVID happened, and, huh. and we got our vaxes and all that stuff. And so it's nice to be able to just, like, play normally. The last World Series we had, actually, in the fall, 
um, there were no restrictions outside of you had to have be vaccinated to play. This year there are no stipulations whatsoever. It feels like it's turned the corner and something that we just live with. So I'm excited to, you know, just like, yeah, return to some normalcy where the World Series is at the same time it normally is. And, you know, we can put that sort of behind us, hopefully, knock on wood. You never know. There might be the Optimus 3000 variant coming out, like, next week. Who knows? Daniel, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, Always love getting your opinions on the Golden Knights. All right, guys. Anytime. There he is. Thanks, man. Daniel Negreanu. Uh, World Series actually starts off, if I'm correct, with the dates on May 31st. So, and then it goes on and on and on. I know you guys are all over it at the newspaper. Sure. Um, there's tons of events. I mean, I think a lot of people just think it's the main event. Um, you know, that's the biggest one in terms of numbers of people. There's actually bigger money events in it. Yeah. Um, and you know, Daniel's one of those guys who's involved at the highest level. So, wait, one more time, explain. His tweet was about gift giving, and it was an agreement he has with his wife. He said it's their anniversary, and okay. that him and his wife agreed to each other gifts. And then they weren't going to do it. And then uh, he said, "It's so much, you know, so much better to just enjoy the day and not have to worry about the stress of gifts." And every comment, as you can imagine, was, "It's a trap! It's a trap! It's a trap!" And he was like, "I can't believe how many people just don't trust their spouses. This is nuts. Just make the agreement." Now, my my kind of take was, "You can, you're better at reading people. Like that's your whole job. So you understood that she was being genuine." I think most people can't figure out people to that level. I don't know. That's a rough one. It, it, but. He said it works out well for them. I'm glad. Nobody else seemed to believe that because Twitter went nuts about it. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Cofield & Company presents... Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, dude. Wrapping up, Cofield and Company at Silver Sevens on a Thursday. Just reading a story. I like to do that during the break. Wanted to come on all composed. Nick Saban, I mean, sort of walked back what he said. I just saw Sheffy, who's certainly prone to putting his foot in his mouth, probably understands that you know these things happen, right, Adam Schefter? No need to take a shot at Adam. That was, that was mean. See what happens? Sure. Uh, but he uh, he tagged his tweet, Nick Saban laments singling out Texas A&M and Jackson State, but remains critical of NIL application. Here's what Saban said. I should have been more specific when I said in saying you can buy players now through name, image, and likeness and never mention any specific school and just said across the sport. That's on me. But other than that, I don't have any regrets over what I said Wednesday. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably right. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think what he said was necessarily wrong. Now you can question where it came from, and I think you know Jimbo pointed it out and said it's coming from the fact that you've been able to cheat better than everybody else all these years, mm-hmm. and now you're mad because everybody else is cheating better than you, or at least you know negotiating the system better than you. And that's why you're upset about it. Now, you could also fire back and say, that's not true. They're still by far the best team in the country. So he's negotiating just fine. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of comeback on everything that all these people are saying. Again, I mean, the, the Jimbo firing back and saying, look what you've done all these years. 
Like, dude, you were one of his assistants. So what are you talking about? So I, I think that's the problem. And, and, you know, you referenced Brad Powers earlier in our conversation with him of, um, you know, not only the, uh, you know, the the code among, hey, if, if we're both cheating, you know, telling each other because, you know, we're both cheating in some way. But it's not just that. It's it's the, yeah, but you learned it from him and you did what he was doing. And now you're accusing him of doing something that you did for him. Like, there's just so many layers of this. I don't think anybody's right. And I don't think anybody's necessarily wrong. But I like that it's coming out to the forefront. And we'll see what happens from it. Um, look, it's something that we've suspected a lot of programs are doing a long time. Now Jimbo Fisher. I think the biggest thing that came out of this, more than Saban taking shots, is Jimbo Fisher has out and out said, basically, Nick Saban has been cheating. And you guys have just let it go. That's the biggest thing that came out of this to me. Mm-hmm. And... and if you have that information, come out and say it. Yeah, I already saw one former player on Twitter say that uh, Bama had offered him money in the past. They didn't say Saban because I think it was before Saban. Right. But I wonder if there's going to be some players who go on the record who are like, yeah. Now, what 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 they're admitting by doing that, though, and they're opening themselves up to is like, wait, you didn't go to Alabama. They offered you money, but you didn't go. So right. what about where you landed? Yeah. And, that, and that's – I like we always like to say that's you know, the dirty little secret. It's not a secret. It's not a secret. Like, for people who really pay attention to college sports, and we've been trying to tell you, you know, if you listen to me and I talk about resources, you know, that's how you get players. And now the game has changed a little bit, or a lot, with NIL. And, you know, the, you know do me a favor, Ari, because the, the other thing that I think uh, people aren't really concentrating on and the frustration with Saban is that in each state the rules are different. Here he talks about what the NCAA would like to enforce and the legality of it. So if the NCAA doesn't get some protection from litigation, whether we got to get an antitrust or whatever it is, from a federal government standpoint, this is not going to change because they cannot enforce their rules, just like Nate said. But the NCAA can't enforce their rules because it's not against the law. And, and unless we get something that protects them from litigation, I don't know what we're going to do about it. Nothing. And like I suggested at the very beginning of the show, that should also be a call to arms for all the states that are not really involved in college football's bountiful Final Four and every state that is you know, primarily housing a school that is Group of Five should get freaking hyper-aggressive. Frankly, everyone in the West should because the West gets freaking screwed over when it comes to consideration by the committee. So let's go. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's try to make some money. Let's try to get more kids to stay home and play. You know, Everyone's going to be giving them some sort of reward shame stupid places like alabama and arkansas that you know put some restrictions on nil let's go open it wide open bust yeah. this whole thing open and that's saving really pissed off and that's obviously the business community that has to step up and, and if you want to have a successful program you can do it now like it, it's a, you you can buy a successful program now you've always been able to you could do it so you've college, always been able to college but, basketball if we go back 15, 18 years, no one would have ever thought Butler, Wichita State, and Gonzaga could be players to get to the Final Four. Guess what? Somehow they did it. Somehow. Stick your hand in there, Dave. You know, we were just talking to Daniel Negrano about the kind of coach he wants for VGK. He wants a player's coach. I wanted to see what you thought of this one. Would you favor a hard ass to go into the VGK locker room based on what you know about the guys in the locker room? Um... JT the Brick tweeted out the other day, how about John Tortorella to the Knights? That would clean up the attitude of many in that locker room. I, 
I, I, is there an attitude problem in the locker room? Not that I know of. I mean, if you want to say that they've gotten complacent, yeah, that's, I guess that's possible. Um, but I don't know that there's an attitude problem necessarily. I, I think that they need, you know, I think they need more. Maybe, maybe they do. Like again, we talked about Ryan Reeves. You need that guy that, you know, not only is makes it fun, but also. You know, he calls guys out and screams at him. I think yeah. it needs to be a player driven. I don't thing, think right? atti- maybe he didn't mean attitude. Maybe it's just the the lax nature of some of the players that they need more fiery figures in there. And Tortorella is certainly very not everybody responds fiery. to the same thing anyway, though. Six thirty with Aces pregame, seven o'clock the tip over at Mick Ultra Arena. Stick around. WNBA is on the way.